0: You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.
1: You're listening to Halford and Bruff. It pisses me off that, that you guys throw that around and affect someone's life. Kevin Hayes had nothing to do. With uh, the situation at hand It's a complete crap That's it
2: for now
0: And uh, I'm freaking jacked I'm
2: fired up I'm not tired I'm not worn down What a
1: freaking boost
2: Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is SportsNet 650. We are coming to you live from the Tech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes of Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you. Hello, hello. Intern Sonya, good morning to you as well. Good morning. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver.
0: And we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintec! Crazy times, the sports are going crazy right now, especially the coaching news down in not only the NFL, but just football in general in the United States.
2: Yeah, this is your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. It is a Canucks game day, we've got the Canucks and Penguins from PPG Paints tonight at 4.30, but um, we are going to spend a considerable amount of time... Talking about football because I don't think that there has ever been a 24-hour window in which the NFL has so profoundly changed as it has over the last 24-hour window. We will get to all of that in just a moment. I need to tell you about the guest list today. At 6.30, Sean Gentile from The Athletic in Pittsburgh is going to join us. We will preview tonight's Canucks-Penguins game. Uh, it has got a ton of storylines going into it. Never mind the on-ice product. You've got the off-ice stuff as well. The relationship between these two clubs. Maybe another future trade on the horizon. Who knows? We'll talk to Sean about all that at 6.30. Canucks Penguins tonight from Pittsburgh. Uh, 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson from ESPN's NFL Nation. Our Seahawks insider normally goes on a Friday. We had to bump him up because we thought, thought the biggest coaching news of the day was going to be Pete Carroll out after 14 years and a Super Bowl in Seattle. He is no longer the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. It was not Pete's decision to leave either. We will talk to Brady about that. At 7 o'clock, 7.30, Barclay Parnetta is going to join the program. Uh, General manager of the WHL's Vancouver Giants. The WHL trade deadline was yesterday. They were busy. They were very busy. They were buying. They were selling, positioning themselves for a playoff run. So Barclay Parnetta is going to join us at 7.30. 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver, and Canucks Talk right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, a reminder, we're giving away tickets to the 32 Thoughts live show. Thursday, January 18th. So a week today at Wicket Hall in Victoria. Uh, If you want to win, reminder, you have to be in the greater Victoria area and be able to go or be willing to make the trek over. The show starts at 2 o'clock. I repeat, 2 o'clock on Thursday. It's in the afternoon. If you want to go and you want to win tickets, uh, send to what we learned in. Hashtag it WWL. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650 650 Hashtag WWL and a ticket emoji. That's key. You'll be entered into the grand prize contest. So, working in reverse, 8 o'clock, it's Drance, 7.30, Barclay Parnetta, 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson, 6.30, Sean Gentili. Uh, That is the show. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened.
1: Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the
2: action because I was. We know how messy your life can be. What happened? You missed it? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. After 24 seasons together, we have breaking news first thing in the morning, but you don't need to play the sounder. It is okay. Bill Belichick. And the New England Patriots, everybody, have mutually agreed to part ways. That news came down about an hour ago, courtesy a number of NFL insiders, including ESPN's Adam Schefter. After 24 seasons together, Belichick, who was the architect of the greatest dynasty in football history and maybe sports history, is now bidding farewell. And after 24 years and really a lifetime, all I remember about the New England Patriots is Bill Belichick. Uh, they will have a new head coach next year, Bill Belichick, out after 24 years with the New England Patriots. You don't remember Tom Brady as part of that? What's that? No, I just, you just kind of, you said all I remember is Bill Belichick about the New England Patriots. Right. Yeah. Tom Brady was that team, too. He sure was. Yeah. Tom Brady is not leaving the New England Patriots this morning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I'm a little confused by what you said there.
0: Uh, Bill Belichick out uh, yesterday. The big news was that Pete Carroll was out, and Pete Carroll was the talk of the football world for like an hour. And then Nick Saban was like, oh, I'm retiring from Alabama. So everyone was talking about Nick Saban down in Alabama. So Nick Saban, uh, arguably the greatest college coach ever. He retires. Um, he retires. Um, There was no like mutual agreement. It was just like, I'm out. And then Bill Belichick today, arguably the greatest NFL head coach of
2: all time, he's out as well. Maybe the greatest sports coach of all time, Bill Belichick, when you talk about his legacy and you talk about what he accomplished uh, in New England. Now, obviously, you mentioned the Tom Brady thing, and his legacy is always going to be tied to Tom Brady. And then really what happened after Tom Brady left, went to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, won a Super Bowl there. And Belichick did not have the same level of success. But if you want to talk big picture about what's gone on over the last, as we mentioned, 24 hours, what a crazy sea change this has been. Now, Adog actually asked in a very adorable way prior to the show starting Did like, the Patriots miss the playoffs? No, he asked. <laughs> Do NFL coaches last longer than other professional sports coaches? And they absolutely. Well, I noted, yeah, because 24 years for Belichick, 14 for. I'm used to the NHL where, like, you're a coach for five years. So it's like a veteran coach. Oh, you know, You're there years. a long time. So, like, 24 years, 14 years, like, that's a long time to be a coach. Right. And there's still a, a couple tenured coaches right now, including Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, who's in his 17th year. But this. They don't, they don't fire coaches in Pittsburgh, though. They They've don't. Been like four forever. Yeah. And that, well, that's more to illustrative to your point is that that's there crazy. are certain organizations that pride themselves on having stability at that position. Yeah. Yeah, and you look at, and I mean, it, it's very difficult to kind of comprehend that these two particular guys are out uh, in this, such a short, short window. Right, we're talking about really overnight. I'm busy pounding away notes, trying to get all that I can about the legacy of Pete Carroll in Seattle, and then this morning we wake up, and well, the one guy that really outshines everybody in the National Football League, Bill Belichick, is out. Now, this is not been what's made the a- most surprising
0: of the three. It's
2: not Belichick because everyone was talking about it. It's probably, I mean, if you had oh, Sabin retiring, yeah, because a lot. You know, I was listening to um, the CBS Sports Talk Radio Morning Show coming in, and they had uh, one of the guys that wrote one of the Sabin books come on and talk about his legacy and everything. Mm-hmm. And he said, honestly, I'm surprised to be doing this because he was still kind of at his peak. I mean, you talk about Carroll was basically the head of a 500 team in Seattle. Yeah. Belichick just had the worst season of his. Uh, New England coaching career, finishing with just the four wins. Nick Saban was an overtime away from going back to a national title game with Alabama. I
0: don't listen to a lot of sports talk out of Tuscaloosa, so uh, I don't know how much you know speculation there was, but there was clearly a ton of speculation about Bill Belichick uh, leaving the Patriots. Um, and there was equally quite a lot, well, not, maybe not as equally, but there was quite a lot about Pete Carroll leaving the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I think... The thing in Seattle that changed things a little bit was we didn't really know uh, about the owner's preferences. And we didn't really know um, how much Jody Allen was willing to go out on this limb and make a change. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the narrative after Paul Allen passed away was that Jody Allen was someone who was just like, you know, she, she trusted Pete Carroll. She and she trusted John Schneider, the people in charge, um, and it very much sounds like Pete Carroll didn't want to, you know, become uh, you know, be kicked up into whatever is. What's his job now? He's, he's, just, a, he's like, just an like, advisor. It's a very he's a front undefi- advisor. It's, it's a very undefined. They asked him, "What does that entail?" He's like, "I don't, I don't know." So this wasn't his decision, and um, you know, in listening to Pete Carroll after the season talk on Seattle Sports Radio. You know, I listened to a full interview with him uh, after the season and he was asked about the team and he said, you know, like I think a lot of our mistakes uh, this year came down to youth. We were a young team. That'll be different next season and he was excited about coaching and you know, when it came out that he was out as head coach, he said that he competed hard, he fought hard to remain as head coach and now he's out. So I'll be curious to learn about what the conversation, like how much we'll get out of, I don't know, between Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, the owner there. Um, that one just seemed like it was almost definitely going to happen mm-hmm. in New England, like there was going to be change. But I think in Seattle, there was this just like lack of knowledge in who was pulling the levers there. You so, know, yeah, was, we all know, we, you know, in New England, we all know, Bob Kraft is in charge, right? He's a pretty prominent owner. He has a very public profile.
2: Jody Allen in Seattle, not so. So the three coaching, if you really boil them down to their essence, Nick Sabans is a retirement. Bill Belichick's is a mutual parting of ways. At least that's how it's being framed by NFL insiders this morning. Pete Carroll's was a dismissal. And make no mistake about that. This was not Pete walking away. He still very much wanted to coach this football team. As Jason mentioned, something he repeatedly stated in the days following their season-ending win over Arizona. Uh, His quote yesterday was, I competed pretty hard to be the coach. I just went along with their intentions. Their intentions meeting John Schneider, who suddenly plays a very fascinating role in all of this. And, of course, Jody Allen, the owner of the team. So a lot of people are wondering what comes now. Pete is going to stay on as an advisor, but he made it really clear yesterday he's not going to be part of the head coaching search. That's going to be a John Schneider joint and that's yeah. going to be his and his alone. There was a Pete, Pete Carroll be like, what about this guy Pete Carroll? Yeah, it's like, do you know any job openings?
1: Is well, there one
0: in Seattle? Is it is it too easy or too simplistic to just be like, okay, Dan Quinn is going to take the job in Seattle and Mike Vrabel is going to take the job in New England? It feels too simple, but it also feels like what might end up happening. Mm-hmm. Dan I mean, Quinn of course has already had two stints with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I think he came in as a defensive line coach, uh, went uh, to the college game for a bit, and then returned as the defensive coordinator in Seattle for those Legion of Boom years. For that, he was rewarded with a head coaching job in Atlanta where things went... I'd say pretty well. In their second year they went to the Super Bowl and had um, you know, a pay- very painful loss yeah, to, don't mention the what New England, happened to the, Super Bowl. the New, New England else was Patriots. Uh, and Dan Quinn was like, I'm used to this. I'm used to this. Um, he was fired after 6 seasons there. The Falcons, you know, they I don't know. They just was they had a bit of like the, a bit of the Canucks. like they they shone bright for a little while and then the shine was off and kind of everyone forgot about them. Uh, then he goes to Dallas and he becomes a defensive coordinator in Dallas and the Dallas Cowboys have a very good defense. Mm-hmm. So and a lot of people just connecting the dots there. Uh, obviously, there's a relationship between Dan Quinn and John Schneider. Uh, Dan Quinn, maybe to Seattle, he's a defensive guy. Um, they've got defensive problems to fix.
2: Yeah, and I do want to spend a moment before we turn the page to the Vancouver Canucks because this is your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650, but this also is your home of the Seattle Seahawks, Sportsnet 650. And from our perspective, both as fans and then as guys that broke into this industry, not really around the same time that Pete Carroll took over as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks and you in particular Jason being as big of a Seahawks fan that you are and then the sad club commish angle uh, Pete was the guy that delivered that first and only Super Bowl to the franchise that you followed yeah. through some pretty dark times and if you look at if you look at the entirety of his career and his life's work in Seattle, it is hard to call it anything other than a smashing success. Oh, 100%. He had Dave Softy Mahler, who we've had on the show numerous times from KGR Sports Radio in Seattle, said that Pete Carroll is the greatest coach in the history of Seattle sports, professional or otherwise. He delivered the Super Bowl. He had so many winning seasons. The real crazy thing is that they didn't really have any really bad seasons under Pete Pete Carroll. The worst was a seven-win season. Even these last two years, which were pretty mediocre at best, they were still nine and eight teams. Mm. Now, here's the thing about Pete Carroll's legacy, and a lot of people brought this up yesterday is that you absolutely have to start with the winning and the divisional titles and the two NFC championships and the Super Bowl. But the other thing you have to talk about, first and foremost, fairly or unfairly, is the other Super Bowl. And the decision at the goal line against the New England Patriots, and it's weird how karma works out that him and Belichick leave their positions basically within 12 hours of one another. But Pete's legacy is also going to be defined by what happened in that, for, in that second Super Bowl. Fairly or unfairly, it is one of the most controversial calls, play-calling-wise, mm-hmm. in NFL history. It largely defined their legacy from him being a one-Super Bowl guy to a quote-unquote dynasty guy. It's not fair. It's not right, but it's also real. I think, uh, and that play call
0: has almost taken on a life of its own. Totally, it's got conspiracy theories. You know, the, it's like Pete, Pete never even called it. You know, that 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 sort of thing. Um, but overall, you know, Pete Pete was. Pete delivered the one Super Bowl that I really wanted. And I think a lot of Seahawks fans felt that way. It's why even uh, though I went through a very nasty public sports divorce with Russell Wilson, I will still have something in my sports heart for Russell Wilson because he was part of that team that gave the championship. Like, your first is always very different. Um, unfortunately for the Seahawks, and I guess unfortunately for Pete's legacy or just the direction of the team, it was the very next year that that play happened. So we had, like, a year of joy. And mm-hmm. then really, when you think about it, when you're talking about football wild wide, um, that play against the Patriots was way bigger Winning their first Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah, it was big for Seattle to win the first Super Bowl. But that play, everyone knows that play. And the fact the Patriots were involved in it just kind of makes it 10 times bigger because of the legacy that they had as the team that, even though they did have some bad losses, it was kind of like the team that always won. Right. Do, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And that no, 100%. was kind of that, that was that was. You know, look, look. The New England Patriots have delivered um, painful Super Bowl losses to a number of teams: the Seattle Seahawks, and as we mentioned, the Atlanta Falcons. Like the Atlanta Falcons, that's Dan Quinn's legacy. Mm-hmm. Twenty-eight to three. <laughs> you know, uh, twenty-one to three. Uh, was it twenty-eight to three? Twenty. Oh, yeah. Twenty. Jeez. Twenty-eight to three. Twenty-eight to three. Uh, so, so I don't like bringing
2: it up because they're probably going to hire Dan Quinn. And by the way, I'm not exactly enamored with the hire, but we can talk to Brady Henderson about that at seven o'clock. Well, who do you want? Belichick, (laughs) I don't want Belichick.
0: Belichick's seventy-one years old. You know, Dan, you're younger than Pete. Dan Quinn's still in his fifties, and I and I realize that, you know, there are people that still have energy. Pete still has energy, Um, well into their seventies. I mean, the president of the United States is he's one hundred and forty years old. Yeah, and he's he's still double Pete Carroll's age. Yeah, Um, I don't know if I don't know if Bill Belichick. I was joking. Get, uh, my pick would be no, my table. No, no, no.
2: But do you think Belichick is going to get a job as a head coach again? It's, he's more likely than Pete. I think. Here's the thing: if Belichick wanted a head coaching job, he would have one in a nanosecond. There would be a team because there's seven openings. Right Washington. Now. He goes to Washington, maybe with the plan of I'll
0: coach for three years and then I'll then I'll become yeah. you know some sort of advisor. Go to, to, to Los
2: Angeles, where... coach the Chargers. Nice and sunny and warm. No more Foxborough winters. Like that could be fun, right? Oh, that'd but, be a good job for Pete, maybe. Yeah, and that's the thing is if you know I do want to before we move on here. So yesterday, I mean, all of the audio that was coming out from Pete Carroll, there was a clip that Adam Schefter threw up on Twitter, and he said, this sure does not sound like a guy who's done. And whether that means done coaching or done in the National Football League, done being around football, and it was a clip of Pete Carroll sort of saying goodbye to the media and opening up the question and answer period, but just talking about where he's at, where his energy level is at. Uh, can we play that now before we move on to the Canuck stuff? Uh, this is Pete Carroll yesterday sort of saying farewell, but only maybe to the Seattle Seahawks, not necessarily to coaching in the National Football League.
0: That's it for now, and uh, I'm freaking Jack. I'm fired up. I'm not tired. I'm not worn down. Uh, you, you guys tried your best. You didn't wear me out. I'm, you know, it's the end of the season. I'm supposed to be, you know, go lay on a cot somewhere. I ain't feeling like that. And uh, um, you know, there's what's coming. I don't know. I got no idea. And I really don't care right now. But uh, I do. Um, I'm excited about it because there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to study. Uh, there's a uh, there's some great discoveries that are going to come our way. What a freaking boost! <laughs> so at the end of the season. Um, I lobbed the question of will the Seahawks make significant change? And, um, you know, I I wasn't including firing a defensive coordinator or like a coordinator change or, you know, even cutting Jamal Adams or even saying goodbye to Bobby Wagner. Um, There were two major areas that could be changes, and that was – the coaching and I attach I actually attached Pete and John together which maybe I shouldn't have mm-hmm. um and the other one was the quarterback position we've still got to see about the quarterback position and the future of Geno Smith and what the Seahawks do in the NFL draft but you were fairly I don't want to say adamant but you didn't think that there was going to be major change you didn't think Pete would get was going to I came be on the
2: air and said yeah that there was going to be with Pete? Yep. That was we had this conversation. and you said, but in our text thread, you said you weren't. I said, Yeah, but then I was listening to the audio and then I did a bunch of reading. Right, and right, I, right, yeah.
0: right, right. Okay. Yeah. So so from our original text conversation, you didn't think that there was gonna be major change. And a lot of people didn't. Yep. I wasn't sure. I'm not saying that, like I'm not this isn't an I told you so. This is a question of what happened here?
2: Yeah, I think what happened in the 24 to 48 hours after the season-ending win, which is still a weird way to say it, over uh, Arizona because it was really a loss on the day. After I started reading enough stuff from, like, again, sources and pundits that I kind of trusted or usually go to, there was a real sense of more disappointment than ever because of, one, the talent that they had and how badly they underachieved with that talent, but also a sense of... Pete's biggest strength, biggest strength as a head coach was his ability to motivate and to craft, especially young minds. That was a big thing about the Legion of Boom and all these young guys that he brought in with Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor especially. And he was able to hone what they had and be a leader and a vocal motivator. And it felt like all of that was gone. It felt like this team had taken on... A personality and life of its own that wasn't being dictated by the head coach. And when you lose that, there's a problem. Also, the other stuff that I was reading, hes like, I know 72 isn't that old, but 72 is old. Mm-hmm. 72, you've been around for a long time, and you're not getting any younger. Even though Pete sounded as sprightly and as energetic as ever in that post-media availability there. He's still not a young man. I just I, I hate saying it like that, but that's what was blunt as I can say it, is that at a certain point everyone has to realize that the change is gonna happen eventually. And then I think what happened here was they're like, we may as well just do this now. There were some times throughout the Seahawks
0: season that I wondered if Pete had lost the room. And there were times when DK Metcalf, for example, had a press conference and they asked him about his penalties and they asked him about this board that Pete has where he lists, you know, the top penalty earners, and it's it's not a board of honor, <laughs> it's a board of shame. Yeah. And Metcalf was kind of like he's like he basically said like, yeah, I don't care about that. And then Jamal Adams um, was asked about his comments on social media, and we're not going to get into that. But you know, someone asked him like, you know, did you have a how was your chat with Pete about that? He's like, and he, like, mm. he kind of smirked about it, right? Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me
2: like. It was like the students that don't respect the teacher. You you asked the question a couple times this year Did you think Pete lost the room? And I I was like, The fact that you're bringing it up, and you weren't bringing it up unprompted or unfounded, like it was out there. Yeah. A lot of people were talking about it. And that, I mean, is there a younger crew there that just don't buy into what Pete's selling the rah rah stuff? I don't know. Maybe. And there's 100% that part of it. The other big part of this, I think, is that they looked at what this team did offensively. And Shane Waldron, by the way, is interviewing for another offensive coordinator job, so he very well could be done. But this team, as long as Pete has been there, I mean, the offense has always been the same sort of thing. It's been a very sort of basic, stripped down. We're going to run the ball, and we're going to play great defense, and we're not going to make mistakes. Well, that's, that's what Pete has always wanted. But, to do. but
0: that's what he's wanted to do. That's it he's he's a, to it do. hasn't always been that way, right? But, but it's, it's hard. What he wanted to do, right? Yeah.
2: But, and it's very hard as a coordinator. To go against the wishes of the guy that's essentially your boss, right? Mm-hmm. And I do think there was a sense of we're never going to get out of this mentality unless we get away from Pete Carroll. That was my impression. But I think it was the defense. Well. But I think it was the defense that cost him his job. See, that's funny that you say that because I look at this year and I think that the offense was as big a disappointment as the mm-hmm. defense with the talent that they had. I mean, just too many games where they were scoring in the teens points wise. And also had to kind of orchestrate these crazy late yeah. game heroics just to salvage a win. Like the, the offense was asleep for three quarters. And then at the end, all of a sudden, the offense happens. wasn't asleep. It was on the sidelines because the defense was still on but, the I mean, that's a field. good point, too, the field, right? right? When you're getting gouged with the run,
1: <laughs> your offense doesn't get a
2: chance to get out there and get in a rhythm. So you're listening to the best of Halford and Broff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Broff.
1: And what we just have
0: to call Thomas Trance erotica. <laughs>
1: Erotica.
2: Corsi.
0: Thomas trans Erotica. Expected
2: Goals.
0: Thomas trans Erotica. Dog Model. Thomas trans Erotica. Rush. Thomas trans Erotica. Petey. oh
2: On a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody, Halford Bruff, SportsNet 650. Just gets better and better. It's one of those songs you can just add stuff to. Consistently was it, was,
0: and thoroughly. Was that my PDO or was that? That was you. Yeah. That was
2: that was hot. <laughs> Uh, you are in Hour 3 of the Halford & Brough Show. Uh, Halford & Brough of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. As mentioned, we are in Hour 3 of the program. Thomas Drance from The Athletic and Canucks Talk is going to join us. Just a moment here to kick off Hour 3. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. Let's go to the phone lines right away. Thomas Drantz from The Athletic and Canucks Talk here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.
1: What up, Drantzer? Not, not much, gentlemen. Coming to you live from the house that Mario built. Uh, Canucks will step on the ice for morning skate about half an hour. I wouldn't expect too many lineup changes. Maybe Cole draws back in for Noah Julson, but you know why mess with a thing that's rolling the way the Canucks were in New York? It's been a very interesting road trip.
2: How many tribute videos are there tonight? Given all the former Penguins? Oh my God! I'm trying to I'm trying to keep track. I think I, I counted up to ten between executives, former coaches, and of course former players.
1: So I, th- they've been here though for since the executives were hired right correct because they so last season so i, I uh, you know it's usually like a first return so i think you'd have to reference it and find the first returns of guys um you know which uh, honestly it might be teddy bluger we we get in the teddy bluger thank you video i uh, <laughs> casey DeSmith, yeah casey DeSmith, yeah maybe <laughs> i mean so the bluger DeSmith. smith uh you know what probably like a, a first period tv timeout acknowledgement i mean Um, Those guys spent a lot of time here, especially, you know, especially guys like Bluger who went on playoff runs with this team. I, I, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised by um, a first period, maybe not a tribute video, maybe not all out like that, but just the, you know, show the graphic and then show them on the bench and give them an opportunity to wave and get an ovation. That wouldn't shock me.
0: Drancer, come join our discussion about uh, Jake Gensel. It's been reported by Emily Kaplan of ESPN that these next few weeks, um, we could see a Jake Gensel trade. Uh, Decisions are Mm. being made in Pittsburgh. Um, What do you think the acquisition cost of this guy is going to be even as just a rental?
1: Yeah. I mean, really high, really high. You know, I I think you're talking first plus like first plus prospect uh, or young cost controlled roster player. Right. I think at at bare minimum. And then obviously there's the salary matching component, which is a, a crucial one, right? Like, it's not like you could just add, Gensel's cap hit to the Canucks roster just as an example, but that's true for almost every contender and honestly, almost every team except Chicago and, you know, a couple other San Jose. So uh, teams that absolutely will not be in the market, by the way. So, um, so maybe it's another mid round pick to have a team eat salary or, you know, some complication like that, but certainly Gensel would be at the very top of the market. Right. Uh, I think uh, one of the bigger deals you'd, you'd be uh, likely to see, Uh, come the trade deadline and yeah i I think the cost would be prohibitive but the quality of the player is through the roof and you know i think when you think about what we've seen from jim rutherford at trade deadlines past right what what this executive's track record is like you know the the three times that he's won a cup right we all know about the doug weight mark recchi ads in carolina and in 06 but uh, while he was conservative at the deadlines with the Penguins, you know Justin Schultz for a third, like it, it was sort of more depth ads When when the Penguins won their back to, you know in some ways that run was, you know uh, given given real steam by the acquisition of Phil Castle, and you know I think you can draw a through lines between Doug Waite and Castle. Like these aren't young guys. These aren't you know your your Trevor Zegras class guy, right? These these also aren't. Third line center with size, or you know, solid depth defenseman. Right. Although I, I suppose you know, Schultz would fit that tier. I, I think more than anything, what you're, what we've seen in the past from Rutherford is when he feels like he's close, he goes out and gets established veteran star forward. Right. Like that's the that's the critical target. If he thinks it's worth putting pushing his chips in, established veteran star level forward is the target. And for me, I, you know, I, I think it's pretty hard to find a player that matches that description. If you look around the market, but if Jake Gensel shakes loose out of Pittsburgh, especially given the club's familiarity with him, right, the, the mm. management group's familiarity with him, you know, that would fit the bill. That would be in line with what we've seen from Vancouver's president of hockey operations in the past in trying to sort of finish a, a team that he thinks can contend.
0: So, what I'm getting from a lot of tweets and texts is that. A lot of people don't know how good Jake Gensel is. <laughs> so someone yeah. someone got at me on Twitter and was like, the guy is 160 pounds soaking wet. Do you think he's really going to show up come playoff time? I'm like, uh, he has 34 <laughs> goals in 58 playoff games, so he, is, he <laughs> has showed up. He's one of the big reasons they won that second Stanley Cup and the last time the yeah. Penguins... Were in the playoffs. He had eight goals in seven games. Like this guy is a player, and he's not just um, he's not just a finisher who's taking advantage of playing with Sid. Like this guy is an absolute player for the Canucks. Um, yeah, Two way driver. Yeah, like he's 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 a really really good player for the Canucks. Well, what kind of trade package do you think they'd have to come up with in order to make a deal for Jake Gensel work?
1: Well, let me uh, let me let me just sort of put it to you this way. Like, uh, I'm going to answer your, your, I'm going to answer the question you didn't ask with a question to you, uh, which is terrible form by me, but bear with me. Okay. If Miller and Pedersen are on different lines, Mm -hmm. is Jake Gensel the Canucks' best winger?
0: Yes, I would say so. I think he's better. Yeah, I think he's better than Besser. Yeah.
1: I don't think it's I, I like I you know I mean we've been talking for long enough. That you guys know how high my opinion is of Besser too, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm, I'm higher than market and I was higher than market when he was struggling. And, and I don't even think it's a tough question, right? Like Gensel's a, a legitimate two-way monster. Um, and, and you know, what's sort of interesting about Gensel is uh, the last and like, this has been a, a lengthy run for him. He's having these results with actually like a low shooting percentage. Like he's having these results in his finishing luck. Looks like it's, you know, been cold. Going on about fifty, sixty games here. <laughs> He's still one of the best wingers in hockey. Um, if Vancouver got him and could, you know, infect him with their PDO magic, <laughs> imagine what you'd be onto. Right? You sprinkle it
0: ready. on as soon as you make the team.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I'm, I'm, I'm dead certain of it. So, no. I, I mean, here's, here's the one thing I'd say is, you know, I obviously didn't see this coming in terms of the level that this Canucks team has hit this season, right? Like I I didn't think they were dead in the water as a, as a potential playoff team this year, given, given their myriad strengths, but I definitely didn't think they were going to be the sort of team that could realistically contend for like the division crown Um, or, you know, be in the mix. And in in my view, I I really do think we're reaching a point where, um, you know, I, I think there's a chance that the Canucks are meaningfully in the mix. Uh, going into the playoffs, where we'll look at them and say, hey, look, there actually is a shot here. I would not have seen that coming from six to eight months ago. But that's a credit to where these players are at. It's a credit to the heater that connects management's on um, in in terms of finding pieces that fit. And as I think about that, and I I think about where this team now stands, right? If we're buying this team as a contender, um, or, or or, you know, a a fringe contender at the very least, then I I do think you have to at least note that this is, you know, quite possibly not the opening of a window, but a team that is in some ways like mid-competitive window with, you know, maybe a three- or four-year shot at like taking their best chance at some point. doesn't have to be this year um, at winning, you know, a cup or going all in. And honestly, this year, for a lot of reasons, underlying reasons, right, whether it's Hironic and Patterson expiring, whether it's uh, Miller's age, whether it's the, the, the cap math on the OEL buyout. Like there's a lot of um, whether whether it's the fact that they hit on like six depth guys who've played at an astoundingly high level uh, for, for super affordably. Right. Like, you know, that's there's a lot of things that are pointing in a direction where it's like, hey, maybe this is a year to, in fact, go all in um, you know, I, I think that that logic's compelling, to be totally honest with you. Like, I think there's, when you look at sort of the fundamentals of where this team is, with the assumption now that, hey, this is a team that can maybe even make some noise, I think there's maybe maybe some cause for urgency for Canucks management to go and, and make a big move. And I, I think it's harder to think of a bigger possible move that could open up uh, than, you know, what you see with Jake Gensel. So... Um, you know, what, I mean, what what price is justifiable? I, th- I think a very high one, and yet I also think that if you're paying, you know, beyond like a, a first and a, and like a good bottom of the lineup roster player or prospect out of the AHL, like if you're getting into the volander Lekaramaki sort of premium prospect here, no, the two firsts here, yeah. Well, and, and I yeah. think if you're getting into that type of price. I think a rental would be like negative EV. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that would be too high a price to pay. But I do think, uh, you know, pretty much anything up to that, if you're getting a difference maker of, of Gensol's caliber, um, is absolutely worth considering.
0: So Kuzmenko and Hoaglander, as my poll question, would you do that?
1: Well, the thing about that is I, I would see benefit in getting off of the 5.5 for next year too, right? Like to me, that's you're getting an immediate upgrade from your bottom six without subtracting anything. Oh, uh, well, I guess without subtracting too much from the bottom end of your lineup, um, you know, uh, Hoaglander would definitely be a loss, but this team does have Fud Colson going on uh, in the HL. Um, you know, maybe you buy another depth penalty killing forward mm-hmm. um, to sort of supplement that right uh, as well. I, I you know, I, I think that would be, I think that would be a pretty good price. And, and, you know, I do think the Kuzmenko part of it's worth noting here just because, you know, if this team's going to add someone and isn't going to have a guy go on LTI, right? Like, is, unless there's a change in, in the health of Canucks players, you know, a, a salary matching component is going to be a necessary part of any big swing that this team takes. And, you know, I was making this point on Canucks talk. Like, if you're going to go all in, if you're going to make a buy for a, for a player like Gensel at the cost that he would demand – you know, I do think you have to ask yourself like are we go you know, are we positioned to use all the weapons that we have at our disposal um you know, when it's like game 7 of the playoffs when when the chips are down. And and you know, my follow up to that to, to Jamie yesterday was like where would you put the over under on minutes Kuzmenko will play uh over the second half of a one goal game totally. seven, in totally. the playoffs.
0: Three shifts in like the third period if he's in there.
1: Right. So, you know, at some point you have to I mean, I don't think this is a hot take or anything. I think you'd have to look at how the Canucks are positioned, how they're using their players. And uh, I, I think say with some confidence that if they're going to make a big swing, you know, Kuzmenko is the salary matching portion of that deal, whether it's, you know, directly with the team you're acquiring a, a high salary player from or, you know, in the Beauvilliers, mold, right? Like get off uh, the deal with one team and, and make a, a deal with another You know, I I think he'd have to be the most likely candidate at this point of the season.
0: Um, Nils Hoaglander just got discussed a lot because uh, we threw him into a potential or made up trade for for (laughs) Jake Hensel. Oh, it's
1: that time of year, boy.
0: What is Hoaglander right now and how much better do you think he can
1: get? Like, what are your expectations for this guy? I mean, they're pretty high. Like, I'm I'm pretty, I've been a big fan for a long time. I I just love the work rate. I, I think the, I you know I think the offensive tools are there, um, but I but I think the real area for potential growth would be on the defensive side of the puck. I mean I think you could absolutely see this guy develop into a, you know like a, a top six supporting play driving piece. Like I, I think that outcome is is well within um, a, a realistic set of expectations. Like I'm not saying I see a future like Jesper Bratt or something like that, but. You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he was a fixture on like a really good top six line, being a complimentary piece for a, for a high end player for like years. Uh, whether it's with the Canucks or or with another team, I, I think he's got that sort of ceiling in him. Um, you know, there there's still some defensive details to figure out. Um, I, I think if he's going to like hit peak value, he's going to have to learn how to PK and and sort of be like a shorthanded goal thread and and do a, a, a few more things from that perspective, but. You know, I think you like you look at what he's produced at this point in his career, and, and this guy's, what, 21, 22 now? 23. And 23. And, I mean, his scoring rate in the NHL without any power play one time, you know, it's like a 30-point per 82-game pace. Like, that's good. That's, like, really good second-liner. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, that's really good third-liner, low-end second-liner production, given his lack of power play time. Um, and if you're doing that, if you're having that sort of production and succeeding in the NHL at the ages of like 19, 20, 21, 22, that's meaningful, right? That means you're probably pretty good. I mean, think about how this market talked about guys like Akito Hirose and Aiden McDonough over the course of the summer. And those guys are 25, right? 24, like to have accomplished what Hoglander's accomplished even is a really good sign that this guy has real ceiling. He hasn't even entered what we'd consider to be a statistical prime years. Uh, and he costs $1 million for next season. I, I mean, I think there's a fair bit of upside here. I think that would be a piece that I certainly would be really reluctant to part with. And yet, I think when you look up and down this Canucks roster and consider their need for more size up front, you know, you could understand if the club viewed that as, um, you know, n- not like a redundant piece, but like a price worth paying in the event that you're getting a real difference maker back it, 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 during deadline season.
2: We're speaking to Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I feel like this conversation needs to have uh, an added wrinkle where we talk about conceptually the idea of a rental, regardless of team, regardless of emotion or affiliation. Like More often than not, trade deadline rentals don't work. If the ultimate goal is to yeah. win the cup, then you have to understand that one team that makes the rental is going to succeed, and the rest are going to fall short of what they were intended to do. At the same time, it's hard not to get swept up in the fan side of it, where it's it's exciting, and it's intriguing, and you get a chance to bolster your lineup and play fantasy hockey manager and everything. And I do, <laughs> think, I do think that trickles up to the executive sometimes like even the smartest executives in the world can be like Kyle Dubas and trade a first round pick to rent Nick Felino for all of nothing. Right. right. I mean, it happens. Yeah. And I think part of it is keeping up with the Joneses and be, the allure of wanting to, you know, get in this arms race and match up. But again, if you look at it objectively, rentals are super risky business because more often than not, they don't
1: work. Yeah. I, look, I think if you're really going to pay top dollar and you're uh, what, you know what I'd, Considered to be a mid-tier team, right? Like a, no, and I don't mean mid-tier, or sorry, a mid-window team. That's what I meant. Yeah, a mid-window team like the Canucks. You know, I do think, I do think honestly, uh, if you're paying top dollar, a trade more in the mold of uh, of the Huronic deal, right? A, a deal where you know, like one thing the Canucks have is a lot of expiring guys. Okay, yep. Yep. that's actually problematic given how well they have played. That's like not ideal because most of these guys are going to be due significant raises given their contributions to a team that's won you know, like hotcakes all season long. On the other hand, there is actually opportunity there too, because what comes with a lot of expiring contracts, flexibility into the summer, right? Um, You know, there's potentially a way to like pay the price that you'd pay for a rental, but you're also solving or at least committing, making some of your decisions, some of your tougher decisions for this summer ahead of time. Right. And if you're looking at this as like a two or three, four year window, in which you really want to take your best shot at some point and this and this year might be part of that point but isn't sort of the final step necessarily i think that's the sort of deal that i'd prefer frankly to see this team like really splurge for like right? that that's what i'm talking about in terms of being like well if, if the right guy's available i think you start to consider even your top prospects maybe maybe um you know, i just think you bleed that so much value Trading significant futures for expiring contracts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're going to do it, make sure it's a Gensel guy. But just conceptually, like I do think if you can find players that are, um, you know, not not in the rental mold, uh, especially when you're positioned like the Canucks, that makes a ton of sense. And last thing here, I think you have to be really careful about the leverage, right? Like, well, I mean, you literally cannot put a price on what a deep playoff run or a Stanley Cup run would mean in Vancouver. For like sure. it's, it's priceless, right? Like it's yeah. priceless in terms of, you know, rejigging like the generational level excitement that this franchise has had for much of the last 30 years, partly because of a series of deep playoff runs, right? Like it would be huge cash, huge sponsor- sponsorship dollars. Like there's so much good stuff that comes from it. Um, not to mention, you know, the organizational pride and, uh, I, I think that's something that's been in scant supply over the course of the past 15 years. And there's a psychological impact to that, too, uh, especially when, you know, your ownership group are fans, like really do care about the, uh, the team's fortunes. So, you know, in, in figuring out that leverage, I, I think accounting for how high it is and then and then really looking at it from the perspective of what can this team actually do. And, you know, one thing I think we've seen, like this is year five now of the flat cap era and it is not as stratified at the top of the league as it has been for most of the past years when I've been banging my anything-can't-happen drum, right? Like, you look up and down. I think there's, like, 12 good teams, and I don't see a real super team, with the exception of maybe Vegas, who hasn't played that well all season long, frankly, right? Like, all season long, they've looked Mm -hmm. off um, but I also think, you know, we understand that they could have an extra gear and just an overwhelming level of depth if they're healthy and if it all crests at the right time. But other than a Vegas team that's been, you know, underwhelming for most of the year, um, I think you can poke holes in just about every other good team. I don't feel like there's one of those like overwhelming like, oh, wow, Colorado has JT Comfort and, you know, this other 50 point guy on their third line. Like, oh, my God, you know what? Good luck. Good luck. Like, I, I just, It doesn't look like that to me. Every team's got, you know, goaltending issues. Or do they have enough good forwards? Or, like, every team around the league right now, it feels like is, you know, they're, they're, like, I think there's 12 or 13 teams that at this point in the season I look at and think, yeah, you know, I won't be stunned if they win the Cup. And usually that lists, like, five or, five or seven teams long. Uh, it's a bigger group this year. And I think it includes the Canucks. And if that's the case and if it's more wide open, uh, than it usually has been, you know, I, I think that cranks the leverage up even higher. That that makes, you know, any marginal improvement you can bring in um, potentially as priceless as a deep playoff run would be.
0: You know, what's funny is, as you're saying this, I am nodding in agreement because I 100% agree And we were having this conversation, at, at least as it pertains to the East, yesterday and mm-hmm. earlier in the show. And it brings me back to... Why would the Penguins trade Gensel? They're already all in. Just just keep the guy, and if, if you can make the playoffs, I don't see any reason why the Penguins can't win a series or two and go on a bit of a run.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting one because, you know, I think the Penguins are clearly caught between two worlds, right? There's the world in which you want to give Crosby and company another shot, and there's the world in which you just hired a new general manager, right, who's You know, in in Kyle Dubas, who's been all in in the past, um, who I'm sure wants the short term success. But, you know, who's clearly been signed for like seven years, in part because there's a mindfulness about the need to transition, you know, at at some point, ideally in the medium term. Mm -hmm. Um, But Dubas
0: brought in Carlson, right? And that was a kind of like another all in move where you're, where you're really, you know, like you don't bring in Carlson to... For the future. <laughs> you do it for the no. now, don't right Right? It, it is an odd situation. Drancer, enjoyed the conversation. We got to go, buddy. Um, how is the trip going? Are you are you hanging in there? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, All good. good. All right. Hope you enjoyed uh, the New York area. You get to skip yeah, out St. York. Louis. Uh, enjoy.
1: portion of the trip's the best. Bye.
0: All right, buddy. That was Thomas Drance from The Athletic and Sportsnet 650. You're listening to the best of Halford & Bruff.